Hey friends, thank you guys so much for joining in on another episode of Cast the Word. It's part two of the Rewind season, and today we're going to be discussing breaking the cycle of defeat. Thank you guys so much for joining in today as we continue our past, present, and future series. This is part one of our series where we're focusing on the past and we're titling this season Rewind. If you missed part one, then I recommend you checking that out if you get a moment. In that episode, we discussed believing in the impossible and we honed in on the story of Abraham and Sarah and how God can take impossible situations and turn them into possible situations. So we had a lot of fun uh, working through that episode. Hope you guys found encouragement in it. If you missed it, then uh, go back and check it out if you're interested. In today's episode, we're going to tackle the topic of breaking the cycle of defeat, and we'll be looking at the book of Judges in the Old Testament. My goal throughout this episode is to hopefully give you guys some tips and encouragement on how you can counterattack the cycle of defeat that we oftentimes find ourselves in. If this is something you struggle with personally, then I'd also encourage you to go back and check out episode 8, where we discuss overcoming temptation. We dive into some of those things in a little bit more detail, so if this is something that that you struggle with personally on finding yourself in a cycle of defeat or finding yourself overwhelmed with temptation, then I'd I'd encourage you to go back to episode 8 and check that out as well. But before we get started today, if you are a new listener and you enjoy the content of this podcast, then please don't forget to subscribe. You can also find out more about our ministry by visiting our website at casttheword.com or visiting our Facebook page by searching for Cast the Word. Also, if you want to be included in our email newsletters, then you can do so by entering in your email address on our website as well. So with that being said, let's get into the topic today. Throughout the book of Judges, there is a very clear theme that's present. The theme of the book shows a cyclical pattern of sin, slavery, and restoration and salvation. It's almost as if also each time that the nation of Israel goes through this pattern, it kind of gets worse as, as it goes along as well. The book of Judges in the history of Israel is after the exodus from Egyptian slavery, and by this time in the book of Judges, both Moses and Joshua have have passed away, and it was before the time where Israel was ruled by kings as well. So this is before King David and King Saul, and this time period really highlights God's faithfulness to the Israelites. Despite Israel's continuous apostasy, God consistently delivers them through the judges of that time. God, however, did not spare Israel from the consequences of her apostasy, nor was God manipulated by Israel to deliver her, but instead God chose to deliver the nation due to his covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This book shows that there was clearly an issue of a cycle of defeat present in the Israelites of that day. And I believe that as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, that sometimes we too can find ourselves in a similar cycle of what Israel was going through during that time as well. So I'm really excited about this episode. The 12 judges identified in this book guides the nation of Israel through a very dark time in her history where there is continual defeat, a contrast to what is presented presented through the time of Joshua's leadership. As you go through the book of Judges, you find that there are six minor judges and six major judges. Now, the minor judges are not listed as minor because they are of less significance, but simply just because there is 
not much mentioned in their stories in depth compared to the major uh, judges, similar to the minor and major prophets as well. The judges had a wide range of responsibility. They executed judgment for both the righteous and the wicked. They were God-appointed leaders, and they fought Israel's oppressors. And throughout the scriptures, we read that the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot God. Their sin led them into captivity and ruling by their oppressors for a period of time. Israel would cry back out to the Lord. The Lord would hear Israel's cry. The Lord would raise up a deliverer, and then Israel would have rest for a period of time before they repeated the same cycle. And you see that again over and over. From Judges chapter 3 through chapter 13, we read this continuously. The people of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They cried out. The Lord raised up a deliverer. The judge would deliver the nation, and and the nation would have rest for a period of time, and then they go back through the same cycle. Um, There's one judge, however, listed in this book that we have all heard of, and as part of the Rewind series, we're diving into some of these classical stories and pulling out spiritual truths from them. So today we're going to be talking specifically about Samson, and he comes on the scene in Judges chapter 13. Now, in case you're unfamiliar with the story of Samson, or even if you are, I'm going to give a rundown on Samson and his life, and then we'll dive into some key key takeaways that are applicable in our lives today. Uh, So Samson, if you're following along, um, Samson's story is Judges chapter 13 through chapter 16. So in chapter 13, an angel of the Lord appears to a woman who is barren. And we've heard this before, right? Similar to last episode where we discussed Sarah and Abraham. And the angel of the Lord tells the woman that she will have a child and that this child should follow the Nazarite vow unto God. So let's pause for just a moment. What is the Nazarite vow and why is that significant? Well, the angel of the Lord tells us a little bit that this means there are some stipulations around the Nazarite vow, that the child cannot have his hair cut, and that the woman should also not drink any alcohol or eat anything unclean. But if you want to dive into this Nazarite vow and what the uh, stipulations are around that in a little bit more depth, you can find that in Numbers chapter 6, verse 1 through 21. I'm not going to read through all of that, but I'll give you the cliff notes. The Nazarite vow, according to Numbers 6, verse 2, says, if any of the people, either men or women, take the special vow of a Nazarite, that means that they set themselves apart to the Lord in a special way. They must give up wine and any other alcoholic drinks. They must not eat grapes or raisins or anything that comes from a grapevine or drink fresh grape juice. They must not cut their hair and they must not go near a a dead body of either an animal or a human. And we read in this chapter that the vow can be established for a period of time as well. But notice that with Samson, this Nazarite commitment, this Nazarite vow, was supposed to be a vow of a lifetime. Judges 13 verse 8 tells us that Samson was to live the vow of the Nazarite from womb to death. So number six outlines that it could be for a period of time, but we read specifically in Judges that the Nazarite vow for Samson in particular should be from life to death. And Samson's duty during his lifetime was to deliver the Israelites out of the hand of the Philistines. But just like any other human that has ever lived, is currently living, or will live in the future, we all have weaknesses. And simply put, Samson's weakness was women. So we continue in chapter 14. Samson went to a city named Timnah and spots a woman that he is attracted to and demands to marry her. So there's a little dialogue here of of Samson going back to his parents, describing the the woman and how he wants to marry her. The problem, of course, is that the woman is a Philistine. 
Philistine, but God was always working things out behind the scenes, and we read this in scripture as well. So, continuing with the story, one day Samson is walking towards Timnah, and a lion attacks him. Now, the Spirit of God came upon Samson, and he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. There was a significant display of strength here, right? So, on his way back, he passed the lion's carcass. So, he went to Timnah. On his way there, he found this lion, killed him with his bare hands as the Spirit of God moved upon Samson. And on his way back through town, he passed the lion's carcass and noticed that there was a swarm of bees and honey inside the carcass of the lion. So, what he did, which seems very odd and peculiar. He saw the dead lion with the honey inside and he scoops some of the honey out in his hands and eats it along the way and gets back to his parents and gives some of the honey to his parents. But notice here that Samson violated one of the Nazarite vows here by going near and ultimately touching the dead carcass of the animal. So then we move on to Samson's wedding party with this woman that he found at Timnah, this Philistine girl. So Samson threw a party at Timnah as was the custom at that time for young men and also involved drinking which again, was another Nazarite vow that he had broke during that festival, during that party. When the bride's parents saw Samson, they brought 30 young men from the town to be his companions. And Samson told them a riddle during this, this festival. The riddle was, out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet, referring back to the situation, the scenario with the lion. He told these other men that if they could solve the riddle in seven days, then he would give them some clothes, and if they can't solve it, then Samson would receive some clothes from them. So after a few days, the men could not still figure out the riddle, so they went to Samson's new bride and asked her to find out the answer. And after much nagging by his wife, he eventually told her the answer. And then she betrayed him by telling the other men what the answer to the riddle was, and then they turned around and told Samson the answer to his riddle. And Samson immediately knew by this transaction that his wife had told them the riddle. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. Notice Notice the theme here. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, and Samson killed 30 men that day and took their belongings and clothing and gave their clothing to the men who had solved the riddle. Now, obviously, Samson was furious about what had transpired here, and he went back to live with his parents. And his wife was then given in marriage to Samson's best man at his wedding. So, not a good day for Samson. We move on to chapter 15. We read that during the wheat harvest, Samson had tried to visit his wife, but her father would not let him in and explained to Samson that his wife had since been given to his best man in marriage. So again, Samson, upset about this, responded by taking 300 foxes, tying their tails together, catching their tails on fire, and letting the foxes run through the grain fields uh, during the Philistine harvest. Now the Philistines discovered Samson had done this and they killed Samson's wife and her father in response to uh, Samson's actions on the harvest. So Samson then response to this scenario to his wife's death and his wife's father's death by killing many more Philistines, and the Philistines then started attacking Israel's tribe of Judah. By this time, 3,000 men of Judah hunted Samson down to turn him over to the Philistines, and Samson allowed them to capture him and turn him in. Upon his return to the Philistines, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson
Jason again, and he snapped the ropes that bound him and picked up the jawbone of a recently killed donkey and killed a thousand Philistines with it. Now, the Bible then goes on to say that that Samson then judged Israel for 20 years. Then we finally get to chapter 16, where it starts by stating that Samson went to the town of Gaza one night and had spent the night with a prostitute. Uh, Word began to spread in this town that Samson was there, so there was an attempt uh, to capture Samson, but it had failed. So after his wife, Samson was involved with two more Philistine women, one of them the prostitute from that night, and then we get to Delilah. So many of us know the story of Samson and Delilah. And Samson fell in love with Delilah. I would imagine he was captured by probably her beauty and just um, maybe infatuated by her and, and, and fell in love with her. And once again, Samson was going to be betrayed by the woman that he loved. Just like his wife betrayed him with the riddle, Delilah would soon betray Samson as well. Um, and that betrayal came when the Philistines approached Delilah and offered her 1,100 pieces of silver for her to find out how Samson gets his strength and how he can be overpowered. We read in chapter 16 that that Delilah asks Samson many times, and many times Samson gives her the wrong answer. She asks him how he gets his strength. He'll tell her, you know, the wrong answer. And then Delilah would attempt to betray Samson by telling the Philistines where Samson gets his strength, where his strength is originated from. And then they'd attack uh, Samson trying to hit on that weakness of, of where he gets his strength, but they would be defeated because obviously Samson was not telling the truth to Delilah as to where his strength originates. And we find out that his strength obviously originates from his hair, right? That's one of the Nazarite vows as well, that he can't cut his hair. So this process happened several times, but you know, what's funny in reading this, you know, is that Samson apparently, he had to have known, right? He had to have known that Delilah was betraying him, but he never acknowledged it, I guess. He never decided to walk away. He never decided to get up and leave, acknowledging that she was clearly betraying him. He'd tell her this this lie of how he gets his strength. She would then turn and tell the Philistines, and they'd use that against Samson trying to overpower him. Obviously, it would never work because he wasn't telling the truth, but Samson never seemed to snap out of the days that Delilah must have had on him. I'm sure she had some sort of power over him, it would seem. Eventually, Delilah asked Samson, you know, how can you tell me you love me when your heart is not with me? You have continued to mock me and not tell me the truth about where your strength comes from. And after she tormented him with this, after she nagged him about this, eventually Samson did tell Delilah the truth that his strength comes from his hair and that he has been a Nazarite to God from his birth. Now Delilah knew at this point that that he had finally told her the truth and when he fell asleep she cut his hair and the Philistines came and attacked him. The Lord had left Samson when he broke the final stipulation of the Nazarite vow and the Philistines came and overpowered him and they gouged out his eyes. But in the end of the story, during a Philistine gathering, we read that the Philistines were gathered together celebrating their idol and they brought Samson in and Samson cried out one last time to the Lord and prayed that God would remember him and take vengeance on the Philistines for his two eyes, for gouging out his two eyes. And Samson then took a hold of the two pillars which supported the temple they were in, and he pushed with all of his might, and the temple fell. And in this final act of strength, this final act of display of strength, Samson killed more Philistines in his death than he had in his entire life. Samson displayed his faith in God a few times in his story, but in his final act, even though God permitted this, it was basically a plea for revenge by Samson, right? Notice time 
and time again, though, that we read that when Samson displayed his strength, it was after the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And that's important as we go on into this lesson. So this was the very short version of Samson's story. I mean, it's only three chapters, but I hope you know that I really kind of took the, uh, the the main gist of the story, the spirit of the story here. You know, if you want the full detail, obviously there's no better way to get that than to go back through and read it obviously, but, um, you know, the story of Samson is very intriguing to me. It's very interesting to me. I like the story. Uh, I'd recommend if you're not familiar with it, which I'm sure many of you are, um, but the book of Judges in as a whole, is a very interesting book. Um, I like it for many different reasons that we're about to get into um, because there's so many spiritual truths that we can pull out of that. So there are several lessons here to be learned throughout Samson's story that I want to dive into now. And the first is as followers of Christ, we are also called to be different. Just like Samson in his day, we too are called to live a different life, separated from the world. Samson was to live a life separate from those around him, applying his life to the Nazarite vow, and his entire lifetime was to be lived that way. However, Samson throughout his life also faced cycles of defeat by not living up to the standard of his calling. As followers of Christ, we are also to live in the world, but be different than the world. Ephesians 4, 17 through 20 says, So with the wisdom given to me from the Lord, I say, you should not live like the unbelievers around you who walk in their empty delusions. Their corrupted logic has been clouded because their hearts are so far from God. Their blinded understanding and deep-seated moral darkness keeps them from the true knowledge of God. Because of spiritual apathy, they surrender their lives to lewdness, impurity, and sexual obsession. But this is not the way of life that Christ has unfolded with you. So we are not to live like the rest of the world lives. We are to be different, set apart, just like Samson was set apart. There is a specific calling, a specific duty assigned to each and every one of you in your life today. If we are to walk out the purpose God has ordained for your life, then we must embrace this truth that we are to be different. Not only should we embrace it, but I firmly stand on the fact that living this lifestyle will help us break the cycle of defeat in our lives. Just like the Israelites in their time, we too are human just like they are. There are seasons I know that I've personally lived in my life where I feel like I am constantly feeling defeated. I am constantly feeling like I'm in a cyclical pattern of defeat. There have been times where I feel like I have not lived up to the expectation of the Bible and of God's Word on how a Christian should live through my own fleshly desires and pride. 1 Peter 4.3 says, For you have already spent enough time doing what unbelievers love to do, living in sensuality, partying, drunkenness, wild drinking parties, and the worship of demons. We all have a past. We all have had our days we might wish that we could erase. But the hope of the Word of God is that we are no longer to dwell on these things. We've sought forgiveness and we received Christ as our Savior. And as a believer, we are instructed to now be set apart, to be holy because our Lord God is holy, not by our own doing, but by submitting to Jesus and the Word and following the instructions laid out for us in His book. So if you have your mind made up that you're going to heaven, then I have some news for you. Just like Samson, you will live in opposition in this world. If you believe the book and want to live according to the book, then there are are times that the world will present you something you know is not right, and if you're serious about your faith, then you must be able to recognize it and turn away. You can't fit a square peg in a round
round hole. As a Christian, you are now a square peg. The world rejected Christ, and the world will also reject you, but remain hopeful because Christ overcame the world, and so will we through him. So we must recognize what the world has to offer us and know when to walk away, which leads me to my next point. Point number two, we are weak, so understand what your weakness is and instead choose to walk with God. Hebrews 12.1 tells us to lay aside the sin that so easily trips us up. We've talked about this before um, in a previous episode, but it bears repeating. We must recognize what our sin is and learn to walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh, according to Romans 8. We all have an it factor. I talk about this, and I think I mentioned this before in another episode, but I talk about this a lot with my youth group at our church, that we all have an it factor. We all have that one thing that can so easily trip us up. The one thing that represents a weakness for you. And I talk about this a lot with our teenagers in our youth group because it is so imperative that we not be ignorant to what the enemy can try to use against us to cause us to slip. We all have a weakness and there is no sense in pretending that we don't. To walk in wisdom and maturity, we have to understand what our weakness is and learn to avoid it to the best of our ability. Don't deliberately put yourself in a situation where you know you're going to come face to face with your weakness. Throughout the story of Samson, we read that his weakness clearly is women. His obvious love and attraction for Delilah eventually became his ultimate downfall and demise. The enemy knows what your weakness is, and so must you. Your weakness can be anything, okay? It can be an addiction. It can be a specific action. It can be anything. And when we say addiction, it doesn't necessarily mean drugs. It can be drugs, you know, um, alcoholism, television, food, pornography, anything, you name it. All of these things can serve as idols in our life that take our eye off God and put our eye on something that's man-made. In the Old Testament, we read about idols. We read that they were created with man's hands. They were, um, you know, people would physically bow down to worship them. But in the life we live in today, idols are so much more discreet. Anything that takes your eye off of God and replaces God in your heart with that particular thing or item is an idol. Anything that sucks the time out of your day that you could be spending with God, you know, that can be an idol. For example, television is one of the most hidden idols of today. And the reason I mentioned that is because I recently read a book called Gods at War. It was by Kyle Eidelman. He discusses this very thing. The author goes into a story where he is describing entering a house. I believe he's in another country, if I remember correctly, where he enters this house and notice that there is a statue in the living room of this house that people physically worship, you know, literally worship. And what he notices is that all the furniture in that house is faced towards this idol. He then proceeds to describe how this made him feel and and that, you know, then he goes to his home and finds the furniture in his house facing the TV. And the TV in and of itself is not evil, but how we interact with to the TV and with the TV and how much we cherish it, it can be a slippery slope. You know, the same can be said for the internet, Facebook, video games, etc. So understand here, I'm not saying watching TV or doing any of these things is in and of itself, you know, bad. I'm not saying that, okay? I'm just using this as an example that whether it is the TV or anything else, be careful that it does not become a god in your life. I've been guilty of this from time to time as well, and I'm sure many of you can admit that 
as well. So again, anything that we spend more time with and are more devoted to than God has the potential to become an idol in our life. And we have to be diligent and steadfast to make sure that we are not overcome by that. And I say that to say this, recognize what your weakness is. Take diligent steps to make sure God sits on the throne of your heart and nobody or nothing else takes his place. Learn from the lessons of Samson and the book of Judges as a whole. And the quicker we can recognize these things, the better prepared we are to help break the cycle of defeat in our lives. And the final point here is use the ability that God gave you for his benefit. If you want to break the cycle of defeat, recognize what your gift is, tap into it and work it out for God. If you think you don't have a gift, then you're wrong. Let me encourage you. We each have a part to play in growing the kingdom. We each have a part to play, to edify, to strengthen, to benefit God and benefit the kingdom and benefit each other we all have something to contribute. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Every believer has received grace gifts, so use them to serve one another as faithful stewards of the many-colored tapestry of God's grace. 1 Corinthians 12 outlines that we are all different, but we all represent a piece of the puzzle. We all represent a piece of the body of Christ. We all have something to contribute for His kingdom. Don't do what the people of Judges did. Judges 17.6 says that in those days, the people did what was right in their own eyes. Instead, use your gift for God and for the benefit of others. Don't do it for you. Do it for God. If you do it for you and if you are successful at it, then that's where the pride can come in and rear its ugly head. The second you do it for yourself, you lose the anointing that God may have on your gift. God gave Samson a a gift of strength. And as soon as he gave the answer to Delilah regarding where his strength originated, she cut his hair, he broke his covenant, he lost his vision, and lost his gift. Notice that when you get your mind off of God and onto people or yourself, then the gift God has placed in your life can lose its power. Not only that, but like Samson, you too can lose your vision. You can lose where you are headed and what you are even using your gift for in the first place. This became Samson's demise. Use your gift for God's glory and don't let anyone or anything take that away from you. Only then will you fulfill the purpose that he has in your life. Only then can you maintain your spiritual vision for your life and where you are headed in the future. And only then can you walk out what God has planned for you to do for him and for his benefit. The satisfaction of knowing that you're contributing to God's plan for your life according to Scripture places a burden on your heart to want to do better, to want to, you know, not trip up. And when you do trip up, then the conviction can be so overwhelming that, you know, you, you respond by crying back out to God to remember you once more, just as Samson did. So we got to remember to use our gifts and each of us has something to contribute. Each of us has a gift. Tap into that gift and use it for God's benefit. And don't take your eyes off of God because once you do, that's when the enemy will come in and gouge out your spiritual eyes and you will lose your vision. Maintain your vision today. I hope today you found encouragement in this episode. I hope that something here today gives you the tools you need to help break the cycle of defeat. Israel was in a perpetual cycle of defeat throughout the book of Judges, and it can be so easy in this world to get your eyes off of the eternal and place your hope and faith on the temporal. But I encourage you to remain focused, fight your fight of faith, and win your race. If we can break this cycle of defeat, then we can truly walk in the plans that God has for us in our lives. We all have a gift, just like Samson, and as a believer, we are all called to be different, just like Samson as well. Embrace it. Walk it out. 
and trust God along the way. Friends, I hope you are enjoying this series. I know I am. I can't wait to continue on this journey with you guys. I hope you continue tuning in. If you missed the past episode, feel free to check it out. Feel free to also share this with a friend or family member if you feel led to do so. Let's all do our part to cast the word. Guys, stay strong in the faith and I look forward to talking to you next time.